As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. We're now resuming our study of the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter. We were at the point where three angels had been deployed. The first preached the everlasting gospel, the urgency of the gospel, and at the end of the age, in light of the cascading of events in human time and in human circumstances. The second angel announces a message and this is not a prophetic message but a decree and the decree is Babylon the Great is fallen and we looked at that in terms of both the beast and the woman who rides on the beast. We went forward into Revelation 17 just to secure the reference and bring it back. And then the third, the third of the three angels, then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives his mark or the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith in in the faith of Jesus. Now, at the very end here where he says, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I might point out, this is the same thing said of the 144,000. They keep his commandments. Now, As we put this back then into its context, as the third angel speaks, he is announcing a decree concerning those who made themselves subject to the beast, the mindset of this age that accommodates the plans of Satan. I understand that for the saints, their trials will come first, these trials will be strong opposition, the enmity spoken of in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, an enmity that is played out in a myriad of forms. Perhaps the most 
virulent of the forms is that of deception. How many times Jesus, speaking from his position of the great prophet, said concerning the end of the age, take heed that no one deceives you. We also see the deceptive words and blasphemies spoken by the horn on the top of one of the seven one of the seven heads and the head we have identified earlier on as the religious head a chorus of deception coming in the form of religious things religious sayings blasphemous sayings you see things Ordinary speech, political speech, does not have a challenge to deity in it. Typically it's just an appeal, a policy appeal to human beings. Business communications tend not to have an element that you would would typically classify as blasphemy. Blasphemy is an exclusive reference to religious speech. It's important to note that. So the, 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 the judgment that is coming, by, that is announced by the third angel, is the wrath of God poured out upon those who practice who believed and who practiced a lie. As I've said, whereas judgment will come or opposition will come, strong opposition will come to the saints early on in this process, as decreed from Genesis 3.14, this enmity that was on full display in Cain and Abel and progressed throughout the history of the church, uh, always in contention with an opposition, an opposition that sought to present an alternative to the truth. That all comes to a head. And, And what I want to say in regards to that is every man's works are going to be judged and everyone's belief structure is going to be called into question. The only question is in what sequence or in what order. So if one believes in the Son of God and practices righteousness, the opposition will come early and consistently. The persons opposing the saints and the forms of these oppositions will at the time seem as though they have the upper hand. Therein lies the temptation, temptation for people who see advantage and who see disadvantage to begin to assume that opposing the saints 
making, being part of that which makes war against the saints is a good thing, it's a safe thing, it's even a profitable thing. That is the height of folly because it assumes that it will always go on like that. But we know people who will quickly fall for an advantage when they weigh out the matter and see that some people are being disadvantaged while other people are being advantaged and they will say, well, given the choice, I'm going to be on the side of those who have an advantage. That's short-term thinking without any regard for days of judgment, days when it's time for all of the choices of mankind, whether to serve God or to oppose serving God. Jesus put it that way, you know. He didn't didn't say primarily, uh, you serve me uh, or you serve yourself. He says, you serve me or you oppose me. If you're not for me, he said, you're against me. And it's important to see it that way because if you're against Christ, is that a position that has no consequence to it? Even if in the short run, it would appear to confer an advantage to persons making that choice. What I'm suggesting that you consider is whatever choice you make is going to be judged eventually. And that's what this is, it brings us down to that. The third angel brings us down to that. It says they're about to receive the poured out measure in full strength into the cup of God's indignation and wrath, the fullness of the wine of the wrath of God. Now this again is before the great white throne judgment. So what then is the form of this judgment? The great white throne judgment is a final judgment individualized so that everyone gives an account for the life that he or she has lived. And it doesn't matter particularly the epoch of time in which one lived. The judgment of of, uh, persons is quite personal at the great white throne judgment. So how is this judgment different? Because it takes place before the great white throne judgment. Well, it is judgment upon, among other things, it's judgment upon the beast. As Daniel put it, when Daniel first introduced us to this fourth great beast, in the sequences of Daniel's dream in Daniel 7, judgment is given in favor of the saints inasmuch as the court of heaven is set to decree judgments of God whether in favor of the saints or in favor of the beast. 
because the beast has alleged. This great kingdom that entraps mankind offers its systems as the, as the panacea for human suffering. Uh, if that is the truth, then that ought to survive. If that is not the truth, then it will, coming into judgment, be destroyed. Judgment then, the beast is not destroyed at the great white throne judgment. The beast is destroyed with the brightness of the appearing of the Lord, not necessarily his coming back from heaven. Prior to his coming back from heaven, he will issue judgment upon the beast and he will issue judgment in favor of the saints. So, if one has put all of one's hope in the systems of the cosmos, what happens when these systems are destroyed? Now we know they're destroyed by the decrees of God, by the breath of His mouth, the scriptures say, and the brightness of His appearing. I see that as two, two forms. The brightness of His appearing is the glorified saints who in the aggregate represent a man in the image and likeness of Christ. The man above the waters, as we spoke way back in the process of, uh, of, this, of these messages, the glorified body of Christ to whom God, in whose favor God will, will issue decrees of judgment. So whoever opposes the saints opposes God and faced the wrath of God. The wrath of God will come forth in that time as a destruction of the systems in which mankind placed uh, their hope and confidence for surviving. Whatever man's works are will be judged and the works themselves will be burned up. Whatever man places his faith in, other than in the person of the living God, will inevitably be destroyed. There's no, uh, unless it's from God, it has no ability to sustain itself indefinitely. Therefore, it cannot fail but to be destroyed. It will be destroyed. And this is speaking to that. tormented with fire in the presence of God. The second aspect of this judgment before the great white throne judgment is obvious. If the systems are destroyed and persons have placed their hope and confidence in these systems, then what is the effect upon persons who have done so, who have placed their faith and confidence in these systems? They are desolate. They are desolate. It is a mistake to think that if you, if you choose in a, a day of peace but you choose poorly, that there will be no consequence to it. And there, therein lies the temptation. 
You see, forever, since the beginning of time, mankind in a fallen state has judged matters by what appeals to the eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The fruit of the tree back in the Garden of Eden had an appeal to Adam and Eve and the appeal was it was pleasing to the eye and desirable to make one wise. This was the first offering of security and well-being apart from God that Satan ever offered. It was an explanation. He didn't offer anything, he offered an explanation. God knows that in the day you eat thereof your eyes will be opened. So it was his spin on things. It's the same spin that continues and that underlies the beast, this great beast to whom Satan gives his power, his throne, and great authority. It's the compendium of the idea first introduced in the Garden of Eden. It's the build-out, if you like, of the original idea of deception. What happened to Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree? Were they indeed wise and could they live apart from God? Were they even God? No. There's a consequence to it as well because their embrace of a lie resulted in an unsustainable existence. For only living in Christ, moving in Christ, having our very being in Him, that's sustainable. But to believe a lie even though it momentarily promised to give wisdom and support, help and strength, and was an alternative uh, or pretended to be an alternative to God and entirely within the ability of man to control and, and manipulate, it fell because it lacked eternal integrity, eternal integrity. It was separated from God and therefore could not sustain itself eternally. So everything, everything that has a belief structure rooted in something other than God, no matter how wildly you build it out and how widely it is propagated, that does not allow it to sustain itself. Only eternal things ultimately are sustaining though they're not self-sustaining, although within them is that measure of the power of God divested into them for the purpose of sustaining them. Everything else falls down. So the wine of the wrath of God's judgment will follow and overtake the beast and all who put their confidence in the beast. So as the systems fall, as the systems fall and collapse upon themselves, 
mankind's alternatives in which to hope also collapse. And mankind, separated from God, finds himself, finds herself, truly in a state of desolation. Because we're out of options at this point. These are the days when the works of men are judged. Prior to the decision and choice of men to go in that direction and to abandon the things of God are also judged. Those things will be judged at the end of the age when mankind himself is judged. These things are being judged contemporaneous with the collapse of systems in which people put their trust. So the judgment in truth is that the systems were unsustainable just like the beast was a deception and whoever put their confidence in in these systems and in the word of the beast find themselves living in creation bereft of either the support of God or now the support of the devil. And this is really, really a dilemma. It's a dilemma of the first order. What is to become of mankind? We'll pursue that. Now while this collapse is occurring, it defines, verse 11 defines the condition, the smoke of their torments ascend forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, those who worship the beast and his image and who have received the mark of his name. Concerning the saints who are yet upon the earth, here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I point out this is the same language that defines the 144,000 which means that that configuration is meant to be descriptive of the multitude that was not numbered in the same way. Verse 13 then goes on, says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. We are told to store up treasure in heaven where moth, rust do not corrupt, thieves do not break through and steal, as opposed to investing our time, our resources and our energy in things that are primarily of this world and of this age. Even if you are even if you are prosperous in this age, you ought to look beyond the prosperity of this age to eternal things. Such a thing was portrayed by Jesus himself to the rich young ruler uh, and of course the rich young ruler failed the test. In this time of judgments upon the earth, what we are to see is that choices for lifestyles 
that now seem so brilliant, seem so full of promise, seem so well attended by public opinion. Everybody agrees that spending your life in a certain way uh, is the thing to do. What we're seeing is all of these things have an end and expiration date to them. Whether it's the end of life or the end of the age. And there's a, there are consequences associated with these choices because when God decides that it's time for judgments to come upon systems of mankind and upon those who put their trust in these systems, and when God demolishes these systems, primarily because they oppose the saints, whoever is fully invested in just these things and not rich toward God will be in serious trouble inasmuch as they will have suffered serious loss. Just a reminder, see the book of Revelation is not only about symbols, it makes the point that the rest of scriptures make that there's an end to all things in creation. The only thing in creation that does not have an end to it is the spirit of the redeemed. That is eternal. Everything else has the life cycle of being born, mature, grow up, die. Everything else is like that, including the choices of mankind. We will pick up when we come back at verse 14 where he says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice, to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you, for time has come for you to reap the harvest of for the earth of the earth. Let me reread that. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe the first of two reapings. As we unpack that in the next section, we'll see that angels are very prominent in the reaping of the earth. There are two reapings that you will see. The first is the reaping of the righteous. And that's the one that has been described here. And then the second, going on from verse 16, uh, is that of he who sat on the cloud uh, again said, thrust in the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle, which is a, a reaping device. It's like a a crescent 
with a handle on it, uh, a wooden handle that is sharp and capable of cutting down grain. And uh, that there's a second reaping that happens. And we'll look at both reapings when we come back. I'm Sam Solon. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.